This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in and hanging in as we return from an unplanned hiatus. I'll explain why real quick. First off, I'm just going to apologize to everybody who was expecting a podcast over the last couple of weeks after the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which I'll just give you my quick notes on that. Not that great. You had a really solid opener and a main event. But everything else in the middle was largely kind of blech. Even the main event was like a solid match in and of itself, but the finish was a huge turnoff. And the reason why the show took an unplanned hiatus for about two weeks wasn't because of anything illness-related. If you listen to 1037 The Game, you heard me all over the airwaves. And I feel like it was more because of a couple things. First off, we have a brand new afternoon show, Crunch Time with David Grubb. You can listen to it from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on 103.7 The Game, Acadian of Sports Station. Spent a lot of time two weeks ago kind of finishing up all the prep work and getting everything ready for launch. And then week one of the show in the books, we're starting up week two. If you missed that, you can check it out on 103.7thegame.com. But dealing with all that, and also kind of an overall not necessarily being able to keep up with all the wrestling going on in the world. Things just kind of fell through the hole. And honestly, I hated the fact that I was missed out on so much. But honestly, I also was thinking I wanted to change up how this show was done, how the show was written, more importantly, how the, how the show is paced out. And honestly, there were a lot of changes I made after WrestleMania. I largely kind of started to do away with the three counts, started to do away with some other things. And then I thought about it. Why not just talk about what I want to talk about when it comes to professional wrestling? Not necessarily have to be forced to watch a crappy Monday Night Raw. Not be forced to watch a mediocre Friday Night SmackDown, which I'll get to some the lone highlight for me when it comes to that. There's just a lot of stuff I'd much rather do with my time and lately, WWE programming and everything else going on in the world of pro wrestling kind of slips through the cracks, if you will. But we're back, and we are going to be rocking and rolling, strutting and strolling as we get started with the show and kind of catch up with some of the stuff I haven't talked about in the last couple of weeks, and that's the releases and a couple returns to the WWE Universe. And I'm going to recap real quick. Obviously, we'll start with the releases. This time, it's largely coming from the black and gold brand. It's a lot like what we saw after the massive releases after WrestleMania that included Samoa Joe, who we'll talk about in a moment. And this happened back on June 25th, and it was insane. All of a sudden, I, I sat down in the first South Farm Credit Studios and was pulling up Discord. I see Fandango. And it was insane to see how many people got let go. So to recap, Brizango, Everrise, Bollywood Boys, August Gray, Tony Nese, Arya Davari, Kurt Stallion, Tino Sabatelli. For the second time in as many years, he's gotten released. Killian Dane, Marina Shafir, and Arturo Ruas. While some of them, like, Everrise was hardly used really outside of their little YouTube show. 
because they had an episode released, I think, the day before they were fired or the day they were fired, one of the two. And then you have somebody like Marina Shafir, mind you, more because of the fact that she is the daughter, excuse me, the daughter, the mother of Roger, Roger Strong's child. She got pregnant while she was with the WWE, so that took her some time off, and then she was able to finally come back into the ring after the pregnancy and all that stuff. So she missed out on a lot of time. Kurt Stallion was really used occasionally, if you remember, he was used more along the lines of like a contender for the Cruiserweight title when you had Santos Escobar early on in his reign, but really nothing else of note for him. Then you have Tino Sabatelli, hardly ever used. Arturo Ruas, after all, underground, he went away. August Gray was really not used all that much. Been a long time since we heard from Tony Nese. But it was crazy just to see some of the guys they let go, like Everize. They gained traction. They were getting over a little bit more with the little show called Ever Rise Live. Tyler Breeze was a huge part of Up, Up, Down, Down in the last couple of years. Battle of the Brands is something I honestly really look forward to watching every week. Because, again, GM mode in video games is freaking awesome, and we need that back in our lives. And I'm not talking about the Elite GM app, which is a fun game. I played the open beta. I enjoyed it. But make that a game in and of itself, please, because this is a reason why I loved GM mode back in the day. And then you just largely obliterated the 205 Live brand. And I believe they only have like seven guys left on the brand that may be generous following the purge. And they largely used this past week's show for qualifying matches that are going to lead it into an NXT breakout tournament in a couple weeks. And Nick Khan continues to be the guy that takes all the blame for this, and deservedly so. Be seriously, these guys got absolutely jobbed out by this. And, you know, again, Stein was built up as a legit contender. It could have been a really big face of the company, uh, not quite face of the company, but a really big face for the black and yellow brand or 205 Live if you really cared about that. And now I'm just hoping these guys can continue to find work now that wrestling across the country and worldwide to a certain extent is starting to open back up and live crowds aren't a necessarily a rarity these days. They're non-compete clauses, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, some of those contracts have about 30-day non-competes. So, hypothetically, Brizongo, the Bollywood Boys, Tony Nese, they could all basically jump ship to any company within the next month, which would be massive for a lot of, pro- for a lot of programs, listen to me, for a lot of promotions and it continues and it's amazing to see how quickly this thing is just become an absolute bleep show meanwhile you've got a couple of people returning to the roster and two notable names namely Zelina Vega and Samoa Joe and I brought up Joe a couple weeks ago before the hiatus if I'm not mistaken is like now he's Sheriff Stone Cold-esque if you remember from the 2003 Raw's I think this might have been like late 2003, early 2004. He was sheriff Stone Cold after he got like after he lost the Survivor Series match. It was Team Raw, Team Bischoff versus Team Austin. His team lost the match after Orton was the sole survivor, if I'm not mistaken. Then you have him become the sheriff like two weeks later. So it's something like that where he can't really get any altercations. He can't touch anybody. Can't wrestle. So it's very, very similar to that. I honestly love the idea of that kind of gimmick working in 2021. And Samoa Joe, honestly, he's just been tremendous. His first night alone, I mean, the fact that 
he wound up putting Adam Cole in the Kikina clutch after he was physically provoked. It's selling a storyline. It's selling drama. And I love the fact that they put this all together. And it was great. And I feel like I'm going to talk about it later on about Samoa Joe and some of overall thoughts about how he's improved the black and yellow brand. But then you also had Zelina Vega make her return this past Friday on SmackDown. And remember, she got released for a lot of reasons, namely probably not giving up her Twitch stream. And now that's probably just largely been given to Tommy End, the former Aleister Black. So now they can kind of have a little bit of an understanding. And now Zelina Vega is officially back in the WWE not long after preaching a while back for unionization. And she made a return this past Friday night on Fox. And she was first off announced as part of the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match representing the SmackDown brand. And she had her first match back against Liv Morgan and then lost in two minutes. And Kevin Foote mentions this all the time in the world of sports, that there is a thing called a medicine season. I think this could be considered medicine season, a la what we saw with Triple H back in 96 after the curtain call when Stone Cold took over. And mind you, that wound up paying off way more than anything Triple H being King of the Ring in 96 would have done. But it made me think that this, even if it's not a punishment, this feels like you could have very much have built her as a serious threat rather than her immediately job out to live Morgan in two minutes. You could have done something more with that. And it makes me wonder, does creative have like less than zero motivation to book a competent women's division, let alone a women's money, the bank ladder match either that, or they're already telegraphing what's going to happen at the pay-per-view and I'm going to throw it out there. This is my fantasy booking. I did not see any rumors, no dirt sheets, no nothing. I'm going to throw it out here. Why not give Becky Lynch the Money in the Bank contract, a lot like Lesnar did in 2019, where he where she just pops up out of nowhere. When she's not even mentioned as a competitor, she pops up, wins Money in the Bank, and then cashes it in at SummerSlam against Charlotte Flair or whoever is going to be a top heel. Because I think that would be a great story that you can tell. And honestly, I don't think everybody wouldn't complain. Because you know the crowd in Texas is going to come and glue the exact second you hear Becky Lynch's music play. The people will lose their damn minds. Now, if it happens, I don't know. But I think that would be a really cool story to be told. But it'll be interesting to see how Vegas used over the next few months. Is she going to be used as enhancement talent, or is there more for her coming in the not-too-distant future? Could she even be Miss Money in the Bank? I'd say odds are probably not, but it's still something at least intriguing to kind of consider as we get a couple weeks away from Money in the Bank, the first non-mania pay-per-view with fans in the stands. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And I didn't realize this till this past weekend, is that the Nintendo 64, one of my favorite consoles of all time, and the one I had the biggest memories with, celebrated its 25th anniversary. I saw this on Saturday before Under the Dome with CD, which you can listen to every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on Acadiana's number one sports station. And I thought about it. 
why not rank every single N64 wrestling game in America in a tier list? And by the way, if you're listening to this, you can check us out on Twitter and Facebook. At Cajun Strong Pod is the new Twitter name. And more importantly, you can check us out on Facebook at Cajun Strong Style. And over there, there's no limit on the characters, so it's all one word, and it makes perfect sense. So let's get get into it. So first off, obviously, it's only in America because I haven't played virtual pro wrestling, and they largely are very similar to the American counterparts like WrestleMania 2000 and WCW NW Revenge, even World Tour to a certain extent. So we're going largely just the N64 wrestling games. I'll go in chronological order just to make it easy. And it's also my list, damn it. So why not have fun with this? So we'll start with the first one, WCW versus NWO World Tour. It's a really fun game, and they really changed how your typical wrestling game played at the time. If you remember, like, Saturday Night Slam Masters, you also had, obviously, the WWF games outside of WrestleMania, the arcade game. They were still very basic, you know, punch, kick, occasional, and different grapples, but the system wasn't necessarily as mastered as we've seen in more recent years. Mind you, some better than others. Looking at you, 2K20. But this is the first one. It was a little bit different. You had more than your standard matches. It was the first game to feature a spirit meter that we saw a lot in the THQ Ukes games of that era. The N64 was where that was at. They used it a lot as well later on with them, a day of reckoning, but I think they started to go away with that with the SmackDown and SmackDown versus Raw series, having it build up to get like a finisher. He didn't see as much of the spirit meter, nearly as much, at least I didn't notice. And you have this game have that easy to play, but difficult to really master every single move, but it's fun to do that. It's not like a pain in the neck, like playing like a Dark Souls or Bloodborne for the first time. It's very fun to play. That said, I've got to put it in the legendary tier. It's not the greatest of all time. It's not It's not the GOAT tier. And it's pretty damn good. It. I didn't play a whole hell of a lot of it growing up, so maybe it's the rose-colored glasses play a huge role in these, but this is a legendary game that maybe not necessarily aged well, but still works. It's no WCW versus the world, which was... If I was putting PlayStation in the list, that probably would be a it was a game rating, which is going to be similar to how we did the tier list back around WrestleMania season with The Undertaker and you know all those matches. So it goes like this: you've got you know all timer, instant classic, legendary. It was a match and minus five stars, or it was a game in this sense. And speaking of minus five stars, let's get to WWF Warzone. And this one, I just did not like, and full disclosure, didn't really care much for the Acclaim games because it's the overall presentation. Wasn't something I liked that much. The main menu was a little bit too busy in my mind, and you had the the, the video rants were kind of weird, but they were more on the PlayStation version. But also the button combinations, I cannot stand. That's something I'll always say about those games. They That sucked. And I only remember playing this a couple times. And one of those was at my buddy's house in high school. And the overall presentation was something I just didn't like. The positives is a solid commentary that, if not 
for that and SmackDown Shut Your Mouth, we may have never gotten the viral song called JR's My Ass, which you can check out on YouTube. Might be put that in the show notes somewhere. But seriously, WF Warzone is one of the worst WWE games, and it was the first one on the first foray into the N64 world, and it's a minus five stars. But it doesn't get a lot better. Now we got to get into a game that, without a doubt, deserves to be considered an all-timer. It's WCW NWO Revenge. They took what World Tour did and dunked on it about a couple dozen times. From the introductory video, the gameplay, diverse character roster, it's a phenomenal video game from start to finish. I spent many nights at my grandma's house playing that till like midnight, 1 a.m. growing up. It's a phenomenal game everything put together i can always remember you know playing that game with my uncle because my uncle on my dad's side was about 10 years older than me so he had all the cool video games and this was a prime example of that and i can remember him being with me at the old house we'd be playing on the living room tv and like a tag team match and we'd be tag teaming with each other and it was absolutely every time we played against played with each other i just start beating everybody up even him and i would just grab stuff from the outside, grab weapons, and start swinging it. That was all I cared about because that was fun as hell. And I swear, it was this, Mario Kart and GoldenEye are easily my top three favorite games on the console. Just just in terms of what the N64 games I had and played a lot. In fact, I still have, I have a copy of Revenge. And maybe once I go get another N64 console down the road, that'll be a game I 100% want to play again. And I'll say it one more time. This is, without a doubt, a all-timer. It's a console that changed the game in multiple ways. There's nostalgia, yes. But it changed the game, and everybody largely built upon that. This was the last game of the THQ era, kind of, sort of. And this was a really fun time. Now we get to WCW Nitro. Whatever Revenge did great, Nitro did worse. I can't, I cannot stand the Nitro and Thunder games. The way it's designed, the way it looks, it's a mess. So for me, I'm going to immediately kind of knock off a lot of points for that. The presentation was meh, and it probably fit more in the PlayStation 1 versus the N64. And it got released eight months after it was on PlayStation 1 and right after the greatest game with a WCW license. So it gets a... It was a game on It's just... It's fine. Not necessarily my favorite game, but it is what it is. And WMF Attitude may have been like the exact same game as Warzone, but I actually like it a little bit more. And again, this is nostalgic. So I played this game a whole heck of a lot more. I just never, like, growing up, could not stand the, the button combos, still don't to this day. But they had a lot more fun with Shane O'Mac on commentary. That was, I can remember every time you went up to top rope, you go up, 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 and away. It was amazing. Then you have, you know, a creative wrestler feature was expanded upon. Well done. Iron Roll is going through the music because it was so cool. Like When I pull up Dr. Death, C. Williams music, I would just play that. And it was just badass as hell. And you also had, you know, the pay-per-view and creating a pay-per-view. That was freaking amazing. You also had a career mode. That was a ton of fun. All that stuff. Highly entertaining stuff from 
WWF Attitude was a really good game, at least in terms of everything else you could do in that. You can create a pay-per-view. You can create entrances that are really intricate. You have, like, all the characters that are... They have a really in-depth, like, lineup of characters to choose from. They improved on a lot of things from Attitude. And I could say it's a legendary tier game. It's rose-colored glasses. Nostalgia is playing a factor. But damn it, it's my list. Now we get to WCW Mayhem. This game was a mess, but I loved it. In fact, the only time I really played it was I was at home for a week when I had chicken pox in like the fifth grade. And this was a fun freaking game. The creative wrestle feature was great. The, the roster was cool. The commentary was actually pretty damn good for a like in Nintendo 64, late 90s, early 2000s era video game. Had some really cool features. Like, I can remember, you could wrestle in different backstage venues and enter passwords to unlock pay-per-view matches. Stuff like that wasn't really, like, done all that much at the time. And I wish we got more like that. Like, unlocking pay-per-view venues is something I'm amazed. Now, mind you, to a certain extent, I'm not really that surprised because THQ and now it's 2K, they have just sucked the life out of some video games to a certain extent. But... I'm going to put it, it was a game. It hurts, and I want to put it a little bit higher in the legendary tier. But the gameplay got a little repetitive, and it's just, okay, it's fine. And I can't put in minus five stars. It's fine. It was a game. WrestleMania 2000, it's got to be in this conversation for one of the greatest games of all time. It's a phenomenal game in its own right. And I always people are always going to say a certain game we'll talk about in a minute is the GOAT. But a lot of stuff from that game that we're going to talk about in a few is built off of, you know, Mania 2000. The creator wrestler Steel Cage, the Road to WrestleMania storyline is great, and it's the lone one that's going to be in the instant classic tier for me. It's instant classic, so damn good from start to finish. I have a copy of it, actually, at the house, and it's pretty damn good. Meanwhile, something else that was bad is ECW Hardcore Revolution. Because there's something about plagiarism, I should say. Now, mind you, it all comes from the same company. But you'd think you'd change some things up to make it at least somewhat different. But you pretty much just copied off the kid in school that failed the test. And you just failed the test, too. ECW Hardcore Revolution is probably one of the worst games on the N64. And that's saying something, because Quest 64 exists. And Castlevania 64, which is a pile of you-know-what. This was a thing that happened, and it's minus five stars. WCW Backstage Assault. While it's fun as hell to just beat the crap out of somebody with a weapon, and trust me that somebody did a lot with Day of Reckoning back in the day, which I might talk about in a future podcast, WCW Backstage Assault can die in a fire. It's minus five stars. And now we'll get to the most important game, the last game to come out on the N64. It's No Mercy. It is absolutely, positively all-timer. If I put the GOAT tier, this would be in there. This would be the S tier of the Cajun Strong style tier list. No Mercy is without a doubt the greatest game in the history of pro wrestling video games. It's perfect. They great matches all the way through. Really cool stuff that you can do throughout. A lot of replayability. In there, you know, obviously the SmackDown Mall plays a huge factor in it. 
And at the fact that people are still modding this to this day, we're starting to see more people mod, you know, SmackDown versus Raws and the Day of Reckoning games, which, by the way, the Day of Reckoning games are phenomenal. Somebody actually just did a mod that I saw over the weekend. It was basically modding Day of Reckoning and WrestleMania 19, putting them together, and then having an Ultimate X match and Triple Cages in there. Again, all that alone, I am all in on. This is the kind of stuff I'm here for. No Mercy is still going to be one of the greatest games of all time. You could put the debate of Here Comes the Pain, Shut Your Mouth, or any other ones from around that era. This one probably is the best of all time because it's still playable to this day. I wish I had a hard copy of it. That's my only real gripe here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast is I don't have it in my life. Physically, I've got to play it through different means, but still, some great stuff. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Once again, if you don't follow us on social media, you're missing out on a lot of great stuff, including some opinions you may not get on the podcast on the reg. And that is at Cajun Strong Pod. That's where you get most of the live reactions, including, I'd say, this Saturday, UFC 265, or 264, excuse me, UFC 264, Poirier McGregor 3, I'll definitely be on there tweeting about that. Also, ROH Best in the World this weekend. It's a stacked lineup for wrestling fans. So get ready for that and so much more. Now I'm going to get to what I liked and hated from wrestling the last couple weeks. It's a, it's a feature that I love to do because I have a very strong opinion about wrestling these days. And instead of just going through each and every show and reporting what happened, because by the time I'm recording the show, the shows have already happened and odds are you probably already seen them and you have your own thoughts about it so that's something i'm gonna keep doing going forward but obviously i'm gonna keep it more to liked and hated and just one one thing this week it's two things i liked and two things i hated i'll start off with what i liked nxt as a whole improving week to week was something i absolutely needed to see the ratings aren't showing it but they've gotten better in terms of being a weekly episodic tv show Almost threw up there in mouth saying that, by the way. I mentioned how great Samoa Joe the Sheriff has been early in the podcast. I mentioned last week, too. But it's been great, and it's given the show high stakes, storyline developments, and it's very much given it a breath of fresh air coming out of a what was a good show on paper. NXT TakeOver In Your House was great, but I think a lot of it was just, you know, good match, good match, good match. No real development. Just last week, you had a surprise title change with Swerve Scott winning the North American Championship next to zero hype, but that was still pretty cool. And Samoa Joe has to be given a lot of credit for breathing some new life into the black and yellow brand, even after you've already kind of like gutted the program and gutted the company over the last few months. What I hate is Eva Marie and Piper Niven slash Dewdrop. I think everybody kind of has their own opinions on this, and I'll say this. The build-up to Eva Marie's entering turn was great. The expectations were that she wasn't going to wrestle for one reason or another, and she doesn't wrestle, 
but it turns out to be a complete different thing. Piper Niven, who they all act like she does does not exist in the company, yet she's been part of NXT UK, and she was featured in the Mae Young Classic. You've got stuff on the network. You've got her face plastered on ICW, on Peacock. But you don't know who this person is. You act like she doesn't exist prior to her debut on Raw, which was dumb. And then they go and put these two in a tag team and immediately are teasing tension with the two. Piper, excuse me, now she's Dewdrop. Left her hanging two weeks ago, and then Eva loses. Eva leaves Dewdrop hanging, she wins. It's ADD booking, and I cannot stand it. It's absolutely absurd that we continue to see Eva Marie just continue to be bad. I don't know who's worse, her or Alexa Bliss. Now we get to what I liked about wrestling over the past couple weeks. This is something I've liked for a while, and I'll just say it. Pat McAfee in the WWE may be the greatest damn thing I've seen in a while. And I really want to say more about it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to be, this isn't the Pat McAfee show. But Pat McAfee, number one, great human. Phenomenal person. But more importantly, he's the best part of WWE television on commentary, bar none. He was having, he's had so much fun. He's fantastic. He brings a different energy to a product that was very much needed. Best part is, and, and best part is, it's just him and Michael Cole. You don't have to worry about a third commentator. He teabagged Michael Cole on national television. That alone puts him in the Hall of Fame in my book. You have to love the energy he brings. And while well, I'll say this, the new guy on Raw that replaced Adnan Verk is about a million times better. Pat McAfee hits different as a color commentator. He's highly entertaining. Every time he's out there dancing to Shinsuke Nakamura's new entrance with Rick Boogs, which, by the way, Rick Boogs having a gimmick where he's playing electric guitar is freaking awesome. So I think Pat McAfee may be the best part of WWE right now outside of Samoa Joe. It's Pat and Samoa Joe. you got to love it. What I hated, meanwhile, is something I think is controversial. Nikki Ash, almost a superhero, and her new gimmick. I don't care this was their idea. The superhero gimmick is played out. Hurricane did it best, and nobody will ever be able to touch that again. Super Eric was fun, it, but at the same time, it was hokey BS that WWE loves to shove down your gullet. That's where we're at at the end of the day. And now, it's even worse because... They started to actually put her over in a big way, having her beat Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. And I'm saying beat in air quotes, winning matches, air quotes, because it was beat the clock matches, but she still technically won according to the rules inside the 20 by 20 squared circle. Seriously, I just don't see why the hell we have to put so much emphasis on a new character when she got over more with her previous gimmick. With sanity, like, and when she joined the roster, she was a little bit different, a little bit goofy, but it worked. And now I, I think it's time to unleash a term I've never used, but I think I'm using it right. Flanderized. They have completely flanderized her character to a point of just stupidity. It all started, I think, last year when she started teaming with Alexa Bliss. It felt like, to a certain extent, they were building towards some immediate tension where you know, Alexa Bliss is going to use her. But no, they become friends and then they become tag team champions and they have a decent run. 
And then Alexa Bliss joins the dark side with The Fiend. And again, I'm convinced Alexa Bliss has been the kiss of death for a lot of wrestlers, both male and female. Because the track record speaks for itself. To a certain extent, she ruined Bailey. Bailey had to go to another brand and re like tool her entire gimmick to save herself after the god awful Kendo stick on a pole match and the Bailey This Is Your Life segment, undoubtedly one of the worst Raw segments of all time. Then you have obviously Nikki Cross, who they kind of ruined to a certain level, not nearly as bad, but still, it felt like they largely denigrated her after Alexa joined the Fiend. Then you have. Alexa Bliss ruining the Fiend, or no, ruin Randy Orton by pinning him in a match that really wasn't a match that deserves a lot of minus five stars talk. Then you have her ruining the Fiend, and then her ruining Shayna Baszler. So her rap sheet, just in the last, let's say, two to three years since her run on top of the women's division, has been absolute dog bleep. Yes, it has been dog bleep all the way through. And you wonder why I'm just not a huge fan of Alexa Bliss. She seems like a really nice person. But in terms of her character and the and what they've done with her, how they've ruined so much potential stardom, it's insane. And before I get worked into a shoot, I'll wrap up the podcast right now and appreciate everybody for listening in. Make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're there. Just leave a five-star review. And make sure you write a review as well. Because here's the thing. It shows us we got a handful of reviews. That's great. That's awesome, as The Undertaker would say on Cameo. But I more importantly want people to get in on the conversation about the show. And I want to see what you have to say. And here's the thing. You tell us what you want to, what you want to hear and all these other things. That's great. That's awesome. Let us know what you think about the show by giving us a five-star review as well as writing it out. We'll mention it you on the air on this podcast. If you leave us a five-star review and also subscribe, however you get your podcast, because we know these days everybody's listening in through different ways, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, even some people still use Stitcher. A lot of different ways to enjoy your podcasts. So make sure you go do that today if you haven't already. Until next time, enjoy the wrestling. We'll talk to you down the road.